0: Faith Factor Impact, episode number nine. Hey everybody, welcome to Faith Factor Impact, where we hang out with today's top nonprofit thought leaders to get refueled, reconnected, and inspiration. So let's go.
1: Use time with intention to get the most out of it, Uh, both personally and professionally, is of great value and cannot remain in situations that are not good for me because they take the one thing that you don't ever
0: get back time hello impact listeners jay everline here your host and i am fired up to present to you today our featured guest josh die josh welcome to the show hello thank you josh is a ninja at helping organizations extend their message and mission whether his efforts result in improved membership or an increased online traffic or donations, Josh is known for getting the job done. He serves as the marketing outreach coordinator for Housing Link, a nonprofit organization that is committed to improving people's lives by providing online tools and research for affordable housing choices. Josh is also the president of Convene, a speaking, training, and consulting company for nonprofits. Josh is a top notch thought leader that's doing work that matters and making a difference. So, Josh, I've just met you there at a coffee shop in Minneapolis in that 35 degree weather. And I asked you the question what do you do? In a few seconds, can you respond to that question? I can.
1: Yeah, so I work as the uh, marketing and outreach coordinator for Housing Link, a nonprofit organization based out of Minneapolis. And that involves a lot of community outreach and and education around affordable rental housing in our area. And I also have a consulting company where I do speaking and training as well as marketing and communications uh, consulting, and I've been doing that for a few years. And then I also am in the process of inventing a new kind of Murphy bed uh, on the side as well, which we can talk about later, but uh, keeping my, my hands full right now.
0: Wonderful. Wonderful. I look forward to to hearing more about that new invention that you're working on. So, Josh, we always start to show off with the reflection. It's a moment to kind of quiet the noise and reflect on something of insight and inspiration. And I I know you've got a doozy to share with us today. So take it away and share your reflection. Imagine there is a
1: bank that credits your account each morning with $86,400. It carries over no balance from day to day. Every evening, the bank deletes whatever part of the balance you failed to use during the day. What would you do? Throw out every cent, of course. Each of us has such a bank. Its name is time. Every morning, it credits you with 86,400 seconds. Every night, it writes off as lost. Whatever of this, you have failed to invest in a good purpose. It carries over no balance. It allows no overdraft. Each day, it opens a new account for you. Each night, it burns the remains of the day. If you fail to use the day's deposits, the loss is yours. There is no drawing against tomorrow. You must live in the present on today's deposits. Invest in it so as to get the utmost in health, happiness, and success. The clock is running. Make the most of today.
0: Man, that is awesome. I got kind of excited when Josh Firth First shared that during the pre-interview and man, what a nugget uh, for us to take away today. Today is the day. Let's seize the moment and make make it count. Thanks a lot, Josh. I appreciate that. So, Josh, I want to dig in here really quick. You've had an interesting journey, have done a lot of great things and you shared a few things with us that you're up to. Tell us a little bit about your journey and the steps you've taken to get to where you are today.
1: Yeah, I'd like to actually take it back to uh, when I was in college. I uh, was in community college back in uh, 2000 and 2001, around that time. And while I was working there, or while I was going to community college, I was working as a bellman at a hotel. And then uh, September 11th happened. And as a part-time employee, within two weeks, I was laid off from that job as a bellman. And uh, still in college, I decided to find another job, and it ended up actually uh, selling Kirby vacuums door to door. And the skills that I gained from that position, as it relates to communication, connecting with others, uh, sales, and uh, sort of being in the middle of sometimes uncomfortable moments, but navigating your way through, has really served me well. Uh, in each position I've had since then, and so uh, I actually had a period of time where, after community college, I was just uh, doing the the curvy thing full time, which was actually not a great decision, but uh, but still continued to hone those skills. And then I ended up going back to school for uh, housing at the University of Minnesota and got a bachelor's degree in housing, and then uh, got a master's degree in Public and nonprofit administration from metropolitan state. And since uh, graduating college in the undergrad, I've been in the nonprofit sector uh, since that time, starting out at professional trade associations, so membership organizations. And then now for the last five and a half years at uh, Housing Link, which is a, a charitable nonprofit organization, as we uh, mentioned before. But it, it's sort of interesting how a job completely not connected to the sector or, uh, has really served me so well in being able to connect with audiences and uh, do the work that I do.
0: Man, that, that, that quite a germ. Bellman selling Kirby uh, uh, products. Uh, gaining all of those skills and now here you are today uh that's pretty cool i'm curious though um when you went back to get your master's like in in non work like what what inspired you to to do that what prompted uh that that path
1: yeah it was it's really just the the desire to learn more and and make new connections and i had i had learned sort of from the process of some of the different jobs i had held Uh, prior to the nonprofit sector that I most enjoyed uh, using my skills towards something that has a cost. And so by the time that I was uh, in in my career for a a few years, or what I like to call my professional career for a few years, I realized that the nonprofit sector is the place that I wanted to be. And so it seemed like a, a wise next step to just further my education in that area, both for the knowledge, the people that you meet, during the experience uh, as well as sort of the resume builder that can come along or credibility that comes along with uh, a master's degree. So it's like once I knew I wanted to be in the sector, I wanted to uh, further my learning as much as I could.
0: Love that. All in, all in. So that's that's pretty good stuff. So Josh, you kind of gave us a little bit of insight into this next question I'm going to ask you. You know, after you've reached this point in in your uh Journey in your career, uh, there can sometimes be this perception that things always seem to work out for you. And you just told us that it doesn't always, uh, it's not always the case. But you and I know uh, that that that's not true. And we have these, what I call valley moments. So tell us about one of those valley moments, the most challenging moment that you've ever had. Take us there. I want to experience that. Talk to us some about how you overcame that. Um, and what did you learn?
1: Yeah, my valley moment is really a kind of crucial part of my life and it's something that I uh share in this presentation, how failure propels us forward, is that I was in a I was in a relationship, a marriage actually, that was uh just really not a good place for me. It was uh deeply unhappy and it was deeply unhealthy. Uh but I felt a lot of guilt about the idea of leaving it. I felt a lot of shame, there was uh, a lot of fear in that because I was really raised to believe that divorce was wrong and it really was not a part of my value set. But here I was in this miserable, unhealthy, and unhappy place and uh, I was stuck and stuck looking at do I want to make a decision that is actually in opposition to the values and beliefs that I've held up to this point. And it was really at that moment that I decided that uh, I had to move on from that situation. That sometimes making decisions against long held beliefs or values that you've had uh, sometimes is necessary or it's the bridge to your next step. It's the bridge to being healthier. It's the bridge to being uh, happier and living the life, the kind of life that you want to live. And there was a lot of painful uh, emotion to deal with during this process, uh, but ultimately has turned out really well for me, despite the fact that it was the last thing that I wanted to do and was the lowest moment. It really helped sharpen my focus and uh, help me actually define what are the values most important to me on a day-to-day basis, both personally and professionally. And that's where the reflection that I shared about time at the beginning of our conversation really came from that, that uh, to be able to use time with intention and to get the most out of it, uh, both personally and professionally, is of great value to me and to not remain in situations that are not good for me because they take the one thing that you don't ever get back, Mm -hmm. which is time.
0: Mm -hmm. Love that. Well, so Josh, I mean, obviously, um, when you go through something like that, it's, it's tough. It's difficult and no one ever wants to experience a a divorce, but uh, you uh, fought through that. You, uh, in spite of the shame, in spite of the, all of the emotions that you kind of shared, you were feeling the fear Um, Maybe even concerns about how your family would would see that and think about it. Uh, You made it out. And so uh, thanks for being vulnerable and sharing that with us. And and man, I applaud you for the courage uh, that you had to to find it in your uh, in yourself to maximize the time and get to a better place. So thank you, Josh. Yeah, you're welcome. So so I want to get into uh, what we call impact leadership. So, Josh, when I talk to successful leaders, there's often this defining moment um, that or story along their leadership journey that really sticks out um, and has really had a great influence in their leadership style. What has that been for you?
1: Yeah, I think the greatest influences on my leadership style have been uh, the people that I've worked for as well as the people that I have worked with. Uh, over time and just to expand on that a little or expand on that a little bit is uh, a number of years ago there was a tv show called heroes and uh, I watched the first season of the show and one of the characters on it one of the villains actually his ability or power was to absorb the strengths or the superpowers from the other heroes in his midst and I actually learned a lot from that villainous character in terms of uh, how I want to sort of learn and develop as a professional and as a leader is that those around me have strengths and those around me have things that they're not as good at and to uh, understand what those sort of weaknesses or not strengths are of those leaders as well as what their strengths are and really try to learn as much as possible so that uh, those around me, if they have something that I don't have, that I can learn that and sort of create it as a part of my own skill set, and obviously not in a villainous way, but just in a in a learning, uh, furthering my own skills and perspective standpoint. And so I've had people that I've worked for and with that I haven't liked all that much, but that I have learned a lot from, and I've become a better professional because of them, because I made the intentional choice to separate maybe not liking them as much as a person, but seeing what they're good at and then doing what I could to learn that and uh, and become better at whatever their skill is myself.
0: That's really good. Is, is there a particular situation uh, that you can recall that really sticks out that uh, you can draw on a bit um, and, and kind of dig a little bit deeper into that? I'm, I'm curious about uh, the liking and the not liking. I, th- I think we've all probably had that experience, but tell us more.
1: Yeah, there was just this, um, this one person who um, was not all that keen on uh, sort of giving staff autonomy and the freedom to experiment with their new projects or implement new ideas, and I felt really squelched in that environment and held back, but I also learned how to adapt and and work around that kind of situation, but also that particular individual was very good at financial management and they were good at uh, really detail elements and in, in a lot of ways consistency consistency of communication. so I was able to sort of take the challenge and learn how to work in that environment and still be productive but also then take the, the strikes that this individual had and sort of their their financial uh, management, as well as their consistency in communication and and in, in reaching sort of the stakeholder audience that was really strong that I've pulled with me for uh, a long time. So uh, that's, I guess, a one example. And then uh, another is I've also uh, worked uh, for people that are very much about letting people experiment with their projects and giving them greater autonomy over their time and it's really impacted uh, both my own productivity, and then when I'm working with others to to give that trust and and freedom to others as well has uh, paid a lot of dividends. So there's like the leadership styles, sort of looking at there are leadership styles of people that I don't prefer to work for, but you can still uh, you can still learn a lot from. Mm-hmm. And then as you're leading people, kind of understand where you fit in that mix.
0: Yeah, no, I like that, Josh. And you know what? What's really kind of exciting for me and sticks out for me in, in both of those stories is that how you found a way to pivot, right, and and to adjust according to who the leader was and their style. You know, having you know, kind of learned a bit about you not having that autonomy. I'm sure that was a struggle for you, but you found a way to find moments of, of goodness in in spite of that. And so that's pretty good. That's a, that's a great lesson uh, for folks listening to take away. You've got to find um, that adjustment point so that you can thrive uh, no matter what the situation might be.
1: The yeah. oh, thing, uh, Jesse, is that uh, there are actually two books in grad school that I read that have stuck with me for quite a while now as well. And one of them was called reframing organizations. And that book really talked about each situation you face when leading an organization or working in an organization. Uh, You sort of maybe have your default frame of reference by which you view any situation, but that many times something calls for for you to look at it from a different way or a different frame. And that has been helpful as a reminder that when you're dealing with a challenge or you have a problem to solve, that you really apply the, the best possible frame in which to view or address it. And then another was a book was called leadership on the line, which uh, I also recommend.
0: Good. I'll make sure that uh, shows up in the show, note, show notes. So on faith factor impact, Josh, we believe that effective leadership can be the difference between surviving and thriving as a nonprofit leader. What does effective leadership mean to you? And what would you say separates the good from the great?
1: I think what separates the good from the great is the level of trust they're willing to give to the people around them, especially if the people around them are talented and responsible and accountable as a sort of normal mode of operation. I'd say that ability to trust and to let go and to see what good people will create. And the reason I think that helps, uh, reveal sort of the difference between good and great leadership is that when you give people trust and they don't perform, you've also learned something about that person and whether or not they're right for your team or whether or not they're right for a specific kind of project. And trust really is the long-term view, whereas if a highly sort of controlled environment or where people are not trusted to do their best work, you don't really learn what the people around you are capable of both for good or in some cases for bad so it's actually the willingness to risk mistakes or risk problems or risk setbacks in order to learn what the people around you and your team is ultimately capable of for good
0: well that's good that's good so so josh i have to i'm dying to ask you this question because you've had so much success in this space tell me how have you leveraged technology as a leader uh, to help accomplish the goals and objectives of the organizations where you've served?
1: Yeah, I actually think that the nonprofit sector has particularly had the, this new technology about you must use it sort of shoved down their throats. And then in many cases, it's hard to kind of quickly adapt or implement new technology for a variety of different reasons. So I actually think there are... Uh, Two important points here, and one is that even if your organization is not going to use a new technology that's out or integrate, say, one of the new social media platforms into the organization, even if you don't use it, it's crucial to understand the impact of that technology on your stakeholders' preferences and behaviors. Mm. So, for example, Snapchat right now is a, a growing uh, social media platform mm-hmm. and Snapchat for those who may not know you can take photos or videos and then send them out to your friends and followers and determine how long they have to view that photo or video anywhere from 1 to, to 10 seconds as a brief explanation. Now a nonprofit may choose to not use Snapchat as a part of their communications or marketing plan but I think it's crucial to understand the impact that that has on how you communicate in other ways, both in in terms of people's attention span, their preference for uh, sort of ease of communication, keeping things short and brief and entertaining. And so even if you don't use the technology, understanding how it's changing society so that whatever you do use can be adapted and tailored to the ways in which uh, preferences among your stakeholders are changing. And, and then the other, I think, as well is going back to the trust and freedom element is giving your staff the space to experiment and to see if and, and to really try out something new, even if it's not fully formed yet or there's not a full on strategy around it, but just to, to poke around a little bit and see what can be learned from experimenting with new technology. Cause now's the time really where I think particularly related to technology that you just have to frequently experiment and try and sort of see what takes hold and then put your energy towards the things that take hold. Because by the time you try to fully figure something out and then put a full strategy around it, uh, many times something new will already have been created. Yeah. So kind of mo- moving as quickly as the times are moving with technology, at least from understanding and experimentation pretty
0: crucial yeah that's a great nugget josh and and, you know i'm going to kind of deviate a little bit from our 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 normal um interview flow because you've i mean you're the guy that that comes in and and you know kind of blows membership numbers out of the water and increases donations uh like like no one else before you uh could or did and so kind of can you give us a a a tactic or something that you know uh, i'm not asking you to give out your whole toolkit here but Give our give our audience a, a few things that, that they should be thinking about or could do that may help them extend their reach in terms of using technology and some of the things you just shared.
1: Yeah, I think the the first thing is to keep things as personal and one-on-one as possible, believe it or not, where oftentimes we try to like take technology and then just send out a sort of a mass message because it's now easier to reach more people with one message. But the importance of knowing who John and Jan and Jim and and Nancy are and being able to speak to their specific interests, their specific uh, desires is important. And and in a lot of ways, it's more time-consuming than anything else but it's worth it where you can really sort of get more out of individual interactions than mass interactions. So using technology as a means to uh, reach individuals and understand individuals and kind of customize and tailor your message to one person. So I I have this saying that you don't necessarily need a lot of followers or people of interest, but you just need a small number of people that care a lot. And so finding out who are the, that smaller group of people that care a lot and really communicating to them is uh, one thing that's worked really well because people are sort of used to getting general messages or impersonal communication, and if you can be the one that puts in extra effort to communicate personally and into the interest of that particular individual, it'll be huge.
0: Hmm. So
1: some of the ways in which like membership has been increased, or or donations have been increased, is really by uh, using a a more personal approach, a more customized approach, which takes more time and more effort, but ultimately it's been worth it. And that's one, and then the other is to think about um, sort of what are the audiences that you're not reaching, who are the people that. Sort of are connected to your organization, but that you're not focusing on that much and putting together sort of those tailored, customized personal communications or, or outreach to the people that you're not currently reaching. There's usually like a few niches or two connected to an organization that uh, are not necessarily the prime stakeholder, but are sort of a layer removed, and there can be a lot of, a lot of, um, Uh, impact or benefit that can be gained by experimenting with reaching out to a new audience. And it really, I, I can't emphasize just the idea of experimentation enough where, yeah, you might try to reach this new audience and it might fail or it might flop. And that's fine because you learn something in the process of whatever actions you take. Mm -hmm. I, I I sort of, and now when I'm, uh, giving some talks and saying it's time to stop thinking outside of the box. We've all done enough thinking. It's really now time to start acting outside of the box. Mm-hmm. So what are those actions that you're not taking or w- in which ways are you not experimenting with your communications, your fundraising, um, you know, your outreach to stakeholders? And uh, the final thing I want to say on this is to, kind of look at your communications, look at your website, look at your outreach and your, and the ways in which you're kind of engaging stakeholders. And each time you send something out, ask, what one action do I want them to take as a result of this interaction? What one action would I prefer? Is it that I want them to click on an article? Is it, is it that I want them to donate? And if you if it seems like you're distracting from that one action, to then start taking things out. Uh, a lot of communications that get sent now, uh, it just packs in a lot of information. You know, we might be asking people to do three, four, or five different things. And when you get an email like that, or when you get a communication like that, you might be interested, but ultimately distraction sets in, and it, you seem overwhelmed, and you all of a sudden, feel like you don't have enough time to take any of the actions. Whereas if you just send it out and ask for one action, uh, you're more likely to, to get a result.
0: Yeah. I like that. And you know, what comes to mind as you share that uh, Josh is um, the idea, Seth Godin talks about your tribe, you know, and, and, you know, be very focused on the needs of your tribe. And if you do that, it'll, it'll play dividends in the long run. And so, what a great nugget uh, to share with our audience. I want to continue with this leadership focus, but I want to get uh, maybe some quicker responses. I want to get into your head and ask you a couple questions. Can you name two of the top skills you believe are needed to be successful as a nonprofit leader that you don't think perhaps was as uh, critical in the past?
1: Yeah, I would say uh, the top two skills, one would be frequent experimentation,
0: but-
1: referenced that already. And the other is, and I've sort of referenced these things before, one frequent experimentation, and then the other was understanding the impact of technology, even if you don't personally use it. So nonprofits are known for strategic plans and having, you know, three to five year strategic plans as a kind of a regular course of action, but making sure to allow for, Frequent experimentation and the ability to adapt within that plan, I think is more important now than it ever has been before.
0: Share one to two taxes you have used to attract uh, and retain individuals that uh, you'd like to have on your team to accomplish your goals.
1: Yeah, personal connection and generosity. So giving people your best, giving people the height of your attention and energy Regardless of how many are in the room, regardless of, in some cases, who they are. So I'm saying that is in the you're doing a you're doing an event or you have an interaction, and sometimes the numbers aren't there the way that you want them to be, or there, there may not be as many people there, but still giving everything you have in that moment to whoever the individuals are in the room. I think gains a lot of respect and sort of helps develop. Sort of fans or your tribe as you were saying one
0: by one. So Josh I want to pivot here a little bit and uh, I want to learn a little bit more about you and I want to talk a little bit about what we call your genius zone uh, there's a lot of research out there and you've talked about this a little bit about operating in your area of strength to get the greatest result uh, as, as an individual you know here at Faith Factor Impact we believe that every individual has what we call a genius level talent so, so tell us what, what is your genius talent? And, and how do you, you know, stay focused in that space uh, as much as possible uh, day in and day out?
1: Now, I would say my genius level talent is taking complicated or detailed information and boiling it down and making it easy for others to understand. That plays out in like a public speaking environment or in a training, but sometimes in a communication or a pre-recorded video. Or just, um, you know, even if you're having a conversation with others and trying to explain a more complicated situation so that they can understand and then act on it uh, is, I would say, my genius level talent is, as you say.
0: Love that. What's something you struggle with? What do you struggle with the most? So you've got this really nice skill uh, of taking complicated things and, and, and helping them, making them to be a little bit more uh, palatable. Uh, what do you struggle with the most?
1: Currently, sort of the greatest area of struggle is that sometimes the longer you work at a, at a particular cause or in a particular area of focus, the more you see like some of the problems or flaws with how in a, the world addresses that particular problem or even the solutions that exist and sort of remaining uh, passionate about that cause, even knowing what you know, sort of knowing the good of what is Happening knowing the bad of what is happening, and that can be uh i think a a struggle or is a struggle that i that I have at times uh as well i as far as like day to day stuff i I really try to just kind of operate within my zone so uh, there are things that i don't like doing I don't like doing the um things like filling out a timesheet or when uh donor information comes in i um When donor information comes in, I don't necessarily enjoy uh, putting that into spreadsheets and those kinds of uh, administrative tasks, and so I do struggle with those more in the sense that they take longer for me to do than they should otherwise.
0: Well, I I get that, man, and and I think uh, if we're all honest, we've got something uh, that we don't like about what we do, but... You know those that uh, get it done, like yourself, Josh, uh, rough through that and and uh, in spite of it. So, uh, thanks for sharing that. So, I wanna I wanna get to um, what we call our ultimate faith factor question. And so, Josh, tell me, what's your faith factor? What's the thing that you believe is bigger than yourself and has shaped your success and the way that you approach your work?
1: That that. Um Largely, learning what other the people around me need or the people around me value, and then finding a way to meet that need or connect with that value, and sometimes that can be on a larger community scale. So there might be uh, sometimes in the affordable housing world there are are different initiatives that take place as a result as it. leads to kind of helping people understand uh, the different options that they have for affordable housing and the differences between the different subsidized housing programs or ways to communicate problems to landlords or, uh, you know, things along those lines. So it's really finding out what do people need or what do people value and then finding out how I can fill that gap.
0: Is is a, and so while you're working with folks uh, in in the affordable housing space, what are some of the things that uh, you've recently worked on that have really um, drawn out that that faith factor, that bigger cause? Yeah, the one that comes to mind
1: first is shortly after starting uh, my role at Housing Link in late 2010, I learned that one of the largest challenges that People have in finding housing in our area is that if you have a felony in your background, it is really hard to find a landlord that will rent to you. Uh, Because in our area, about 99% of landlords do a criminal background check, and uh, the vacancy rate is very low right now as well. And the felony in a lot of folks' backgrounds either leaves them in substandard housing or homeless entirely. And so I saw a need there to educate renters with felonies on here's how you need to handle your housing search now that you have this felony in your background because there aren't any anything else they can leverage other than how they approach the housing search differently. So I created this training called Felony Unfriendly, Overcome Criminal Credit and Rental History Barriers to Your Housing Search that I've been delivering for a few years now and has become a really passionate area of interest of mine in helping renters with difficult backgrounds have the information they need to find housing faster and a little bit easier and so that they don't lose out a bunch of money on application fees in the process.
0: Man, that sounds so cool. I mean, uh, what a way to be involved in some work that gives people who may have had a rough moment in their past um and are trying to make their way back uh, to give them a a second chance and and a foot up so good stuff Josh I I, I love that and and I'll be looking to learn more uh, about uh, what I heard you say was pretty cool stuff pretty cool stuff so Josh we're coming to the end of the show but before I let you go um I'd like to ask you a few final questions if you could talk to your younger self little Josh What advice would you give yourself?
1: Yeah, if I was to talk to myself as a kid, I would say uh, first is choose relationships carefully and intentionally at first. Both your personal relationships as well as uh, professional relationships.
0: That's great. Share one book you've read that has had a lasting impact on the way you approach your work.
1: I have to share four. <laughs> so here we go. <laughs> Let's go. Uh, one is "Lynchpins" by Seth Godin. There we go. As well as as well as well Seth Godin's blog. Uh, another one is Read This Before Our Next Meeting by Al Pitt and Pauly. Uh, the Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss. And Daring Greatly by Brené Brown.
0: All right, folks. You've got it. No worries. You don't have to remember them all. I'll put them all up on the show notes, and you'll be able to access those. All are great books. I've read them all. Um, what a, What a great lineup. Thanks for that, Josh. So, Josh, before we sign off, share one tip or action our listeners can take in the next, say, one to two weeks to make an impact. And then finally, tell us where people can find out more about you and your organization.
1: Yeah. So one action I encourage people to take is to do what I call a personal and professional relationship inventory. So making a list of sort of the people in your life or in your organization's life that bring you energy that connect you to good things and really determining who are those folks in our organization that connect us to good things that sort of bring us life and energy and help us uh, achieve our work. And then the other side of that relationship inventory is making a list of those who sort of drain energy or who create setbacks and difficulties. And particularly for those who drain energy or create setbacks and difficulties, uh, put together an intentional plan to sit down and have some conversations to either make those relationships better or minimize the negative impact that they are having. And as far as learning more about the organization where I work at Housing Link, you can just go to housinglink.org, H-O-U-S-I-N-G-L-I-N-K.org. We are currently only in Minnesota, our service is only in Minnesota. You can learn more about Housing Link there, and you can find out about me at joshdie.com. That's joshdy.com, as well as at convene L-L-E.org.
0: So, folks, you've heard it, and as I've said it before, the difference between the you now and the you later is the people you meet and the books you read. And Josh just gave you a doozy of a lineup. Josh, thanks for having been on the show. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Jay Everline and Josh Die. And until next time. Let's go make an impact.